first episode, I wanted to talk about what it means to be a feminist, more specifically an intersectional feminist. Since I am a Latina who has dealt with the comments that feminism is too radical, while also being told a woman can't do this and a woman can't do that, while also having my race, gender, person, quote-unquote legal status thrown on my face from everyday encounters to news of migrant women being medically abused through unconsensual hysterectomies. It is a reminder that our bodies are not ours in the eyes of the powerful, and there are real, horrible consequences to these views. Personally, I do identify as a feminist because I hold true to the basic premise that everyone should be equal. But I do understand the setbacks of this label because of societal connotations. But because feminism brings up different thoughts and emotions, I wanted to start digging into what feminism can be and what it means to be intersectional, not just a little hashtag on a shirt to be all woke. I was very grateful to have four amazing young women Sorry, that makes me feel really old saying that, just to note we're all about the same age. But nevertheless, here are the people I was lucky enough to talk to. My name is Faith, and I'm a student at UT Arlington, and my pronouns are she, her. My name's Ashley, and I'm a student currently in Northlake, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, so my name is Jessica Science Gomez, and I am a sophomore studying political science and sociology at Brown Universities, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Hi, my name is Lana Kana. I am technically a junior at UNT. So in our grounding section, let us start with Faith and Ashley, who dive into topics such as dealing with the male gaze that turns bodies into objects and power dynamics evident in working environments. I'm just going to start off with some questions to really lay the foundation for this episode. So I wanted to ask you, like, what are your experiences with sexism? And if you don't want to talk about your personal experiences, it can be theoretical, like something you've seen or something you know happens a lot like in our community or you know your cyber communities at work or school well I don't think I've gone through like a specific like something like harsh where it's like it's like I don't know where it's taking like part of me or something like that but I definitely do think I like like in work and I think Faith could relate as well I feel like you know I feel like in instances some like women were treated differently than the, than men and also like I'm pretty sure like we've all gone through this actually when you're like like what cat claws and like stuff like that and I think I can remember like specific instances where I used to live in Irving there used to be like this like um this uh this little spot next to family daughter no matter what you were wearing and like in that instance I I feel like I was like 15 and I probably looked like I was 10 but there was still like grown men still like saying stuff to you which is like disgusting at that point it's just nasty because you could clearly tell that that I'm not older than 18 like I'm a child right so I think in that instance it has been like 
we've got I've gotten it through it I'm sure like most girls have gone through it as well yeah that's an interesting point because it's like I feel like a lot of people excuse men's behavior like saying oh boys will be boys and like why are you wearing that you look really older and like this yeah. kind of rhetoric that they're saying like girls nowadays look like they're 20 but they're 15 but like that isn't true at all like, I don't don't really like that. yeah I feel like you can tell when a person is like underage or even if they're not underage and they're like 18 19 like they're still really young what Ashley was saying like because you know how we used to work together too right so like we like experienced I feel like kind of the same things también with like work people and men and men versus women and like I just started thinking about this one time where um there was this hostess and she was like an adult and I remember we were getting like we had a lot of trouble with like our pace like remember Ashley how we would always have like weird pay stubs like everyone would have like different amounts even though we worked like similar hours and so this one older hostess she was like advocating for herself and like a meeting with like pure like male managers I remember her telling us how like she went and she was trying to like like explain like hey like I'm not getting paid right and neither are the other employees like y'all need to like fix this and she ended up like crying because like you know it's like emotional kind of experience because like you're with a bunch of like managers people above you and especially if you're like the only woman there and she started crying and then they were calling her like oh you're too emotional and like just kind of like you know making her feel less than what she is yeah so what you're getting at is like there's obvious like power dynamics that you know having administrators being all males that's kind of like a given in a lot of industries like I remember reading about education specifically it is like mainly females but then when you kind of look at the statistics like the gender differences yeah there are males but they actually end up being admin which is interesting to note because if like you're in a predominant female profession yeah and like your supervisors are male like what does that tell you like there's mm-hmm. still power dynamics between genders yeah and my sister so she's in like um culinary arts field for a long time and so like I always had like the impression that that's like dominated by women because you know like cooking that's associated with women stereotypes and all of that you know but from her experiences that she's told me is that like pretty much everyone that's like you're saying like in a position of power they're male and like it's just a really toxic environment that she's told me about and I don't know how they deal with it or how she dealt with it when she was like working in that field for a long time so well that kind of brings up the next question so like we talk about like sexism and like the power dynamics therefore there's like a clear inequality so that's why we have feminism but I wanted and like not a lot of people not everyone has the same viewpoints on feminism it's actually a very contested term so what are your experiences with feminism I do think it comes, I feel like, well, I don't know, I feel like in a way it isn't a big word to, like, say, to label yourself as a feminist. Like, I I don't think I would say I'm a feminist, because I do think, like, obviously I do want things to be equal. I'm not saying, like, obviously things should be equal, you know? And at times, obviously, women go through stuff, and sometimes women don't get certain, like, um, like, things aren't equal and they're we're not getting like equal like equal I feel I think equal pay is still not the same right 
Yeah, correct. Um, and there's still like not certain resources that should be more available to us that are not available to us and certain things that should be free to us. So, such things as like, uh, just like sanitary needs. But I don't think I've like gone through like specific like drastic like differences. Like I don't have a brother, so I I could I or I don't have like those like male like very I don't have like a very like um male figure. So I don't think I've ever experienced where it's like oh you're you're a girl so you have to do this or you're a guy if you do this. Like I think it's all been sort of equal in my life and I've been able to like majority of stuff and not go not gone through that so someone that does have a brother <laughs> it is like what you were saying they like they don't do things that you kind of like as women we know we do mm-hmm. um and when you call it out especially like in a hispanic household it's kind of like oh shut up or like you don't know and i'm like well i do know we're like almost the same age um i've been doing my laundry since i was 11 Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and going off of what Ashley was saying about, like, her family, like, I feel the same way because I don't have any brothers and, like, my household, there's just one man, and that's my dad. And so I feel like it's kind of different because, like, he's my parent, you know? So it's not, like, something that I'm looking at all the di- all the time because, like, if I had a brother, you know, it's, like, different chores that we get and all of that. But, like, I will say, like, I've been noticing like so many things lately and like not just now but like over the years like when you get older you know like with my dad like it's just weird because like I look back and like he never did like his own laundry or like he never like would cook until like he had to and like just things like that it's weird that some men just never do things for themselves because like that's patriarchy and like the way they grow up you know And it's just really weird for me to think of it like that because I don't have a brother and so like I never saw that like directly and like it was different with my dad because you know like he's my parent like of course he's not doing some things because he's like working you know but yeah and like I feel like I don't really have any other like experiences with feminism like directly because I feel like I always put myself in like circles that's mainly women and I'm not really interacting with men. Next, we talk with Jessica, who touches on subjects such as machismo and double standards, but has a different experience identifying as a feminist because of her environment growing up. No, yeah, definitely. Um, so, especially growing up in a Mexican household, I feel like the I feel like machismo is very prevalent, and even though we're we're like more in like modern times it's still something that I know fathers really like impose in most families or like fathers have and so um I didn't really experience this with my dad actually because he's very I'd say progressive in that sense but my uncles when I told them that I was going to be leaving the state They were very hesitant when, in fact, my dad was very excited for me to take advantage of this opportunity. And it's kind of funny because I know of some of my other cousins that are guys and they left the state for, let's say, to go to the army or the Navy or things like that. And instead of being hesitant, they were actually very 
they were very excited and very congratulatory of it. Your extended family kind of being like, are you letting her go and that kind of thing, like them being kind of judgy, that happened with my family too. They heard I got into college and they were like, okay. And then they heard, oh, Rhode Island, like, <laughs> what do you mean? And it's kind of weird and sexist because um, they blame my mom. They were like, how could you let her? And like, never mention my dad at all. That's so messed up. Yeah, I feel like there's that double standard, I guess, of like, it's always the mom's fault if like the, the girl wants to do something that they're not supposed to do, quotation marks, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, it's different. Yeah, and like with that, like um, experiencing sexism, I also want to ask, like, what are your experiences with feminism? Because, you know, feminism is supposed to be about equality. So, I remember telling my parents that I got into college. I'll, I'll start off with that. Um, my mom, she's always been very, I'd say, supportive. And she's a self-proclaimed feminist, too. <laughs> so, I guess I've just really been, I've just really been, suited in that environment and my dad as I mentioned he's very supportive too and it it really I don't know actually like I just have been in this environment for so long like just so supportive that it's it really like startles me when someone like when I experience sexism and I am the oldest of three daughters so when like I've grown up having to do things on my own and like it's always about equality when it comes to like oh um, my cousin got to do this and he's a guy like why can't I do it my dad was always very supportive of that too my mom too um she's very like if if you're gonna do something you have to do it better than the rest no matter like your gender so it's it's always been that way for me personally um and I'd say I'm very grateful for that because as I mentioned, a lot of families do, like Mexican families and Latin American families do have um, like that machismo prevalent in their communities. So I'm just very grateful that my parents were able to like make that environment for me to like claim that I am a feminist. <laughs> and I really love that for you, um, especially like I think for my mom, she doesn't claim she's a feminist, but I think she's, like, really feminist because she's, like, really, like, are you saying, like, your mom, like, just embodies that and, like, kind of teaches that, but, like, the only difference is my mom doesn't like that label, and we'll kind of get into why that label, because there's different type of feminists. So while Jessica can easily identify as a feminist because she grew up with a very supportive family that allowed her to assert herself, Nana actually offers another perspective on feminism and the label on feminism, and it has to do more with race. I think the best example to use is like how I mentioned I just got a new job, and I've heard of man- mansplaining, and like I know the gist of it, and I've experienced a little bit, but to the degree of which I've experienced at work is like mind-boggling to me. It is so, like, I know. I probably have like a different view on it because I think it's like I thought it was kind of cute because like okay so my GM um I watched the video so like we have training videos so I watched the video and I knew what I was doing granted like 
you know, you ask somebody to like watching a video and physically doing something that's completely different. So my GM will come and like explain it to me and like he'll go overboard. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. Like I, for example, I'd be like, oh, do I use the green um, fry back bucket or the um, red fry bucket? And then he just goes in this spew of like basically summarizing the whole video. And then it's so funny that also while he's summarizing the video, one of the other employees will come and ex- like interrupt the, Z- um, the GM, the general manager, and start explaining. And then I, by the end of this little spew, I have like three guys surrounding me explaining this one thing that I low-key already know what to do. <laughs> and um, yes, like granted, it was, it's my first third day, so like the explanation is needed. And um, I didn't really think much of it. But like I think there's just one thing, like I don't know, because I'm usually the only girl like, it would be, like, me with three or four guys, and I'm the only girl working a shift, and I just think, I don't know if it's the newness of me being there, or if it's just, like, them, like, oh, she doesn't know, we'll just explain it, we'll just take over, and I'm like, guys, I, I've worked, I've worked jobs before, I know what to do, I'm good, and, um, I think that's just the most recent one I can really, um, speak on, others I can't, I can't, like, I don't know. In my in my personal experience, I'm always used to being like, well, I guess this to a degree, this is type of sexism. I'm always used to being like the smart one. So like in group projects, especially when I'm um, when I'm the only girl or I'm surrounded by boys, the boys always come to me like, oh, is this okay or is this what you wish you do? And I think that also kind of speaks to another part of sexism we don't really talk about versus like how we usually talk about um, the sexualizing of women, the undermining of women. It's like now when I'm in these settings with um, where I'm the only woman, I'm expected to cater and kind of be like a mother to them. Like um, they don't like, it would be like a simple thing. Oh, the teacher said we should do this. Like they'll come to me with their little like one sentence. Like, is this right? Is this okay if I put in the essay? And I'm like, yes like you don't have to check up with me every single step i'm not your mother i'm not gonna reprimand you and i feel like that also could be a part of me being black too so like to go on to intersectionality like always having that um stereotype of like black women having that stereotype of being like this strong um independent woman and like this strong heavily mother figure so i think maybe that plays that plays a part on it yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's going to be part of, like, more a part of um, the second conversation, but obviously you can include it in our beginning conversation. To kind of get back to your point, like, both of your points, like, I totally get what you mean about, like, the mansplaining. Mm. And I think that's one of, like, I see a lot of ways that women kind of deal with it. Like, you were saying, like, ah, it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, coping with stuff through humor. And I also feel that, like, I don't know if you ever do it, like, where you're, like, I, I remember yesterday one of my friends was, like, talking about a movie, and I was, like, just joking, like, ah, uh, like, oh, I never knew about this. It's, like, then mansplaining. And then I'm, like, are you serious right now? Like, I introduced you to this. Do you never remember And then I started, like, questioning it. Like, it devolved into being, like, what is a box office, you know? <laughs> like, playing the part. And, like, they were explaining even that, and I was, like, going back and then they were like wait a minute are you making fun of me and 
I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> I of self-awareness. Like, sometimes, like, this is actually kind of bad. But, like, the boys, like, at work, I'm like, they'll just go so into detail explaining, like, this basic job. I'm like, I am 18 years old. I've worked the job before. You don't need to tell me. So, sometimes, I just let them go. And most of the time, they end up doing my job for me. So, I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I think another another example where like it's act, it actually kind of rubs me the wrong way is especially when I'm working with customers. Like there will be this um this guy when I'm working with customer, he'll just come interrupt me. I'm like, oh she's new, she doesn't really know. So you can tell me. I'm like, I was handling this perfectly fine. Like I I know. So that's I think that's the only one where like it's not so funny. It's like now you're just undermining me and being disrespectful yeah. about it. That makes sense. Like per like interpersonal just you and me it could be funny like i can like but with somebody else like um it kind of shows the power dynamic they're thinking of it in their heads and like to your second point of like these kind of caricatures like people put on women it's especially pertinent to like racial minority women especially Mm -hmm. black women i was reading this article recently about how black women in academics especially are expected to be like moms to their students so like excusing white mediocrity and you know i have some personal examples of that like on the flip side like yes most of the time they tend to um excuse white mediocrity and it usually comes like from the pressure from the school board and just society pressure but also it comes from within because i remember um the few black teachers i've had they're like pull me aside or like they'll like selectively talk to the black kids and like you know just tell us like oh you guys have to work 10 times harder and we know it's coming from a maternal loving place but at the same time I remember being younger and my teacher saying that and I rationally knew what she meant but at the same time it's just very difficult to be like othered and be like I like I get like the maternal feeling and you trying to protect us but at the same time like you don't necessarily do that it's like I don't know, it just echoes what um, the black community goes through about how um, black mothers tend to be so much harder on their children, and especially their daughters, too. And I think that just, it just mirrors that in the school life, too. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that kind of goes into the second question, like, how that teacher was trying to kind of, like, prepare you in a way, even though, like, mm-hmm you would rather have other change and I wanted to ask you what are your experiences with like feminism like what do you consider to be feminist action okay um it's kind of like it's kind of a loaded question because like in this current moment with everything going on and just like just the history of it I kind of struggle sometimes to call myself a feminist granted I do want to like on paper, what feminism stands for, I 100% agree. I do want equal rights um, for um, both sexes. And I just want equality all around, but also without like, I think I'm more of a, like if I was to call myself a feminist, it would be more of a traditional because yes, men and women are equal, but yet we hold different duties and different, um, we have differences that we should be celebrated and highlighted and not necessarily oppressed. Because once again, equality equality isn't necessarily everybody's on the same playing field i think the word we should be using when we talk about um when we talk about the concept which we use to call equality we should call fairness because everybody's not on the same field um playing field in life so for example a white um, woman does have a lot more going on for herself and with that like 
not even being a race issue, but like me being uh, a lower middle class, granted we work for what we have, but I have a lot of privilege compared to um, a white woman who doesn't have money or for any race of women who don't have that. So I feel like the focus that tends to be, it's usually spearheaded through the um, through the guise of whiteness and white women. And that's typically my issue. It's like, it's not wrong until they find something wrong about it. Like, for example, R. Kelly and um, Steve Harvey. And I know, I mean, R. Kelly and um, Harvey Weinstein. I know um, a lot of the support, or some of the support was coming from black women in the R. Kelly situation. That just That's just another conversation about internalized misogyny and trauma. But like the push that people got behind um, Harvey Weinstein of like, yes, he needs to go, da 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 da, and um, and like most of his victims were white women, and you just mirrored that like how many times black women had a voice voice their pain against both um, R. Kelly and um, Bill Cosby, and it wasn't until like years and stuff like that, and I think the only well, this is. The only example that mirrors black women's struggle is kind of the struggle with Trump, but then that also has like a political lens and everything else. So it's kind of different, but like just constantly trying to tell people your pain and they're not listening until, oh, here comes little Susie. Oh, I experienced it too. And it's like, um, prime example, Amber Alerts. Most Amber Alerts go out for white children and Black children, like there are many black little girls missing and you don't hear Amber Alerts. We usually have to give, like, we have to go through the third degree to even fill out a missing person because it's like nobody really believes us. And that also comes with, like, just being, a, like, I don't know. I think, I don't know if I'm going off from your original question. But, yeah, going back to what you said, with feminism, it's just kind of difficult at this moment for me to call myself one, especially in this political climate. And I feel like I feel like my voice is slightly being heard um, through white women, but it's also it's like they're taking my voice, they're taking my message, and kind of misconstruing it. Just like Nana mentions in her response, intersectionality is a hugely important subject to talk about, especially when talking to women of color on subjects such as feminism. The resource section I provided included videos of Kimberly Crenshaw explaining intersectionality because she created the framework specifically to understand the experiences of black women. Here is a short excerpt from the video, Kimberly Crenshaw, What is Intersectionality? Intersectionality is just a metaphor for understanding the ways that multiple forms of inequality or disadvantage sometimes compound themselves and they create obstacles that often are not understood within conventional ways of thinking about anti-racism or feminism or whatever social justice advocacy structures we have. This was important to define because oftentimes people take these words and frameworks and misconstrue the intention, the purpose, and the fight. This leads us to talk about white feminism. I also provide a definition of white feminism that comes from an article entitled 
How white feminists oppress black women when feminism functions as white supremacy by Monica T. Williams, if you want to read further. But I quote, true feminism has the power to transform society, but too often what is advanced as feminism is actually white supremacy in disguise, a counterfeit we sometimes call white feminism. White feminism exists to promote the comfort and safety of middle-class and affluent white women. At its core, it is a racist ideology that claims to speak for all women while ignoring the needs of women of color and suppressing our voices when our agendas and priorities don't align. It recognizes the voice of women of color only to further its own aims and appear inclusive. Its organizational representations fail to properly address racial and economic intersectionality and experiences of sexism. It rejects the idea that women can oppress others who are disempowered and in doing so replicates the harmful unacknowledgement social dynamic of the primacy of well-educated white voices. End quote. I actually want to bring a conversation I was having with Faith and Ashley in conceptualizing what white feminism means to us, how we see it in everyday bare bones spectacles. All those stupid little advertisements that like the white women are doing like to like advance feminism, like when they have like murals made out of like a bunch of tampons and stuff and like just wasting all of that and I'm just like, what's the point? Yeah, that's what comes, that's what, I think that's what comes to mind when most people think like feminism that's why they're like oh yeah like very radical but it doesn't and finally i share quotes on black feminism i do note though after some confusion that i do not mean for black feminism and white feminism to be a binary a dichotomy it isn't one is good and one is bad. It is that one is enveloped in an ethic of care that allows empathy and outreach, while another is looking out and benefiting white women only. Lastly, I provide quotes from the Kambahi River Collective, if you want to read further. From page one, I quote, We are a collective of black feminists who have been meeting together since 1974. During that time, we have been involved in the process of defining and clarifying our politics, while at the same time doing political work within our own group and in coalition with other progressive organizations of movements. The most general statement of our politics at the present time would be that we are actively committed to struggling against racial, sexual, heterosexual, and class oppression, and see as our particular Task the development of integrated analysis and practice based upon the fact that the major systems of oppression are interlocking. The synthesis of these oppressions creates the conditions of our lives. As black women, we see black feminism as the logical political movement to combat the manifold and simultaneous oppressions that all women of color face. End quote. From page four, I quote, we realize that the only people who care enough about us to work consistently for our liberation are us. Our politics evolve from a healthy love for ourselves, our sisters, and our community, which allows us to continue our struggle and work. This focusing upon our own oppression is embodied in the concept of identity politics. End quote. 
and from page five, I quote, a political contribution which we feel we have already made is the expansion of the feminist principle that the personal is political. In our consciousness raising sessions, for example, we have in many ways gone beyond white women's revelations because we are dealing with the implications of race and class as well as sex, end quote. So after the resources, I initiate a conversation on how to restructure the perception of feminism and what intersectionality really means. Because we kind of went through like the different type of feminisms and intersectionality, which is a really important framework. Um, how do you think we should move forward with our own type of feminism? like a new framework of feminism to account for different lived experiences. I feel like when we're like, if you ever get involved with like any type of work, I think it's just important to not like erase anyone else's identity. Cause I feel like that's kind of something that you see in white feminism. Like they, like we said, like they kind of care about themselves the most and not like other people. And so like when you're talking to people, like even if it's just like a conversation, like, just be open to like their experiences and not like minimizing them if it's important to them, you know? Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I kind of got that too, yeah, to not like, I guess going into that as well, like not excluding a, a, like a specific like group or anything, just like, I mean, at the end of the day, what, we, we are, we're all women, right? We all, we all share, obviously not the same experiences or anything like that, but like our bodies are most, like what we have is, same and like we're all we're all gonna go through certain things we're all gonna share some experiences and i think we shouldn't exclude like i actually wanted to bring up this question i had in mind when you were talking about like um we all share the same experience so we should like be more able to fight for one another and it brings in the question of transgender females so there's this group um a feminist in particular who fight against the rights of transgender uh, females because they don't consider them females because of their anatomy. They say that biologically you can't be a woman if you don't have certain characteristics. But then again, like gender can be a very spectrum kind of thing, such as sexuality, even though they're not like coincided with together. Like together, it's just like it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you think you're male if you're in a male body. But yeah, um, what do y'all think about those feminists who kind of like want to fight for females, but like they exclude um, people because of biological factors? I mean, I would say, obviously, I would say like excluding them at the end of the day is, like I said, it's, it is that because like we're, all, we're excluding them and that's going against like what was previously said to not exclude certain groups from the conversation, you know? Um, I just think at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not, I don't know, like, I don't know what to say specifically. Like, I don't think, like, I don't know. But I just, yeah, I, I just don't, I think excluding them at the end of the day is just contradicting your, yourself. Yeah, I agree. Like, right off the bat, like, obviously that's wrong, like, excluding yeah. them just because of that. And, like, I don't know, it's just weird to me because women, like, 
even if they're talking about like biologically women like some women don't get periods some women can't have babies some women have different like um anatomy like not every woman can you know like you know what i'm talking about like every woman is different and just because like you have a vagina doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be strict to that definition you know that you're a woman it doesn't mean that you're a woman woman yeah what 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 is a woman woman we don't know mm-hmm. yeah yeah i know like the second question going off like our resources um a problem i see a lot is people misusing the word intersectionality so they kind of use it to mean any identity that intersects so i see it often by people trying to sound smart saying like oh well i know intersectionality because i am you know, white, rich, male, like that kind of thing. Like those are identities and they intersect, but that's not intersectionality. Mm-hmm. So what do you all think about that? Like from what you saw from the video, what do you think intersectionality really is and how should it be used? I feel like intersectionality is more useful like, to think about when it's more about like people's identities who are... I don't want to just limit it to like identities that are like underrepresented, but I feel like that's the main point to like help those identities feel more like, I don't know, like just so that their experiences are acknowledged and we can like move on from just acknowledging them and then also like doing work to make them feel like, I don't know how to word it. (laughs) I think you're like going in the right track because, um, like, from watching that video of Kimberly Crenshaw, she makes a specific, like, it is a metaphor to seeing how, like, these identities actually make a new form of oppression. It is very definitionally, like, about um, oppression and how that kind of evolves. Like, it isn't just gender, it isn't just race, it is both, and they kind of, like, they kind of form a new oppression. As a point, I always, like, when I use intersectionality, I have to make it very clear that it came from Kimberly Crenshaw to um, explain the experiences of black women because oftentimes they don't even mention that at all. Like it is a framework that started with black women because I mean, honestly, if you look at the media, even when you're looking at a show with diversity, are there any like really dark skinned women? But yeah, Um, and we're just gonna go to our last question. So, how do you think we can like borrow from these frameworks like intersectionality or the ethic of care of black feminism without appropriating them and kind of like taking them away from the people that actually conceptualize them? Uh, I think going back to like what, what we stated in the first question, uh, I think we should not exclude, as we stated, like not exclude anybody and like, once we like i guess learn something new just educate ourselves on that you know read on it research on it just don't like don't think like i i wouldn't say like oh i know everything on it right even if i researched it and edu- like i still like you still don't know like truly and you know what someone else has like experienced themselves like a different person or whatever i know there's um that's like there's people that like like to take like certain identities you know and like to like take that for themselves and like like to like make it seem like they 
they've gone through it, but in reality, they haven't. They just, like, I guess gathered someone else's identity and, like, take it as their own. But we should just, like, at the bottom of it, just educate ourselves on it. Yeah, I think the main thing as well is, like, just education, like, informing yourself on whatever you're going to talk about or what you're going to be, like, applying those frameworks to, like, just making sure that you're not, um, you're not using those frameworks how they weren't intended to be, and, like, just constantly learning and, like, unlearning as well. What I really want to highlight from both of y'all's points is, like, y'all are just highlighting that it is about growth. It isn't about, like, um saying oh I'm this and I'm always gonna think this and I'm not gonna change my mind it is about growth and it's also about acknowledging like I said like you have to acknowledge who came up with these because if you don't if you don't educate yourself on that you're just gonna be taking it and probably offending like offending somebody very greatly because those are their life experiences when Ashley said like don't just take up an identity because you feel like it. I've seen people do that. <laughs> yeah, and like, I feel like, me too, like, something that I'm, like, trying to not do is, because I remember back then, I'd be like, I'm not white, I'm Hispanic, but no, I'm a white Hispanic. Like, <laughs> no, I am white, like, I am white, and, like, I just need to, like, say I'm white Hispanic, like, I can't just say I'm not white. You know, because that's like minimizing all these other people's experiences, you know? Faith and Ashley end up developing the idea of actively not excluding people. But Nana gives her belief that people should live their truth and provides insight on how she accounts for intersectionality given her identities. I feel like just living your truth, like a lot of times um the need for feminism comes to conform into what society already depicts as women and if you conform if you just naturally like in your most habitual like state if you naturally conform like if you if all, i remember we were having a conversation one time and like well from where i was once like in high school from where i am now and i remember you telling me um you just wanted to be a housewife and then kind of you remember that <laughs> Like, 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 Alexa just has this brilliant mind, and she just wants to be a housewife. Like, she's just okay with being a housewife. And like, I just remember that really struck—not struck a nerve, nerve in a um, negative way, but really held like held the pieces of nothing in my mind. And I'm like, wow. And then like me myself now in college, I'm like, I'm with her. Like, it's like it's all right to be smart. It's all right to be beautiful and have this knowledgeable mind. But if I so choose to be a housewife and all I want to do is um get married, have children, raise my children. I'm really well right in my right to do that. So like I said, living in your truth. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. If you want to be on the front lines fighting. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, um, I think, like, going off your point, I remember as a child, like, judging other women, like, kind of victim blaming it. Mm-hmm. It was so, like, it was like a staple of, like, girl conversations back then. Yeah. Like, oh... It's her fault for being a freshman who hooked up with a junior. And, like, going back to it, it was like, wait, no. Like, that's actually wrong instead of blaming the woman and, like, looking at the power dynamics of how, you know, that junior took advantage. For social justice and, like, any um, social oppression and whatnot, do that, too. Like, like just living your truth, walking your truth, and not condemning anybody who they're whose um, truth varies from yours. 
And I feel like that's it. And understanding the reason why people's truth vary or people's like ideals vary is because we're different. Because my lived experience as a woman is different than yours as a woman. It's different from a white woman's lived experience. Taking a step farther, I remember being in middle school, like going to Lady Bird. Lady Bird was like um, Hispanics and Black mainly. And I remember being in middle school and this in the spirit of intersectionality, in the concept of intersectionality, this could also be my immigrant views coming through, like being an African and all the lies that we were basically told about Black Americans of how Black Americans are lazy and ghetto and disrespectful. So I very much was also thinking with this sector of my brain and just um, a man's view of the world. I remember um, being in middle school and like the Black girls, the Black American girls would come in like with their hoops, with their makeup done, with like, um, like, just like stereotypical what you would like stereotypical ghetto-ness i guess and i remember them getting in trouble and stuff like that and i used to think in my mind i'm like well if they just um it's all right to have grades but if they can't they meet you don't need to have hoops you don't need to do this like trying to critique them and not understanding that society already does that enough and it's well in her right as a black woman as a woman as a person to do what she chooses and what makes her feel happy she shouldn't have to change her behavior or conform her behavior to not get in trouble or to not getting yelled at and i remember like i remember like that talking i was very much that talking at one point in time to my teachers and my friend oh you're different you're not like them you listen you're educated the way you talk is so eloquent and stuff like that and i'm like see like and that was like me trying to cry out to them and be like see if you do this if you act like me you won't have these struggles and stuff like that. And little did I know, that's not true because I didn't realize my own struggle, the fact that I couldn't be myself, the fact that I was very so much um, turning into what these people wanted. And like, she, at the end of the day, was more free than I was. But that's kind of my opinion on it. <laughs> you gave so many great examples and I really appreciate that thought. And I was also going to ask you, like, because you mentioned a lot about being a migrant from Africa. Mm -hmm. So that kind of adds in to intersectionality. But I kind of wanted to first ask you, like, your thoughts about intersectionality and how it helps you see the world. But also, what differences can you make between, like, what we were talking about, like, the difference between identities just intersecting and intersectionality? I feel like um, what intersectionality does, like, it brings me so much joy because I not only can identify the differences, which I feel like that's what people have trouble with. Like they're afraid to identify the differences because one, they either go to the extreme of like, oh, now I'm a racist. Like I hate you because of this difference. Or they go over like, oh, I'm colorblind. I can't see any differences and yeah. stuff like that. But I feel like it, being a person who has this intersectional, well, now I'm using it wrong, but being, having this concept of intersectionality and living through it um i'm able to identify the differences and be like granted if i personally don't agree or it's different from what too different for me i'm like okay i see you i acknowledge you i respect you but like you're not for me but i'm also able to be like okay you have differences that granted aren't like me but like i i see you i respect you i celebrate you and i'm able to walk through my life with all these guys like my life like life is basically a not social construct it's basically a social studies like 
my, like I'm able to acknowledge these people of different background, different culture. I'm able to celebrate you. And yes, like I'm not saying, oh, I'm Mother Teresa when it comes to social issues. I, like I stated earlier, from my earlier age, I also hold prejudices, but I'm able to self be self-aware and check my privileges because I know privileges, preju- privileges and prejudice. I'm able to check both of them because I know like, oh, as a woman of color, as a black woman, as an immigrant woman, as an African woman, as a woman in general, as a black person, as an African person, I all of those labels, all of those as a straight person, all of those labels, all of those identities, they carry negative and positive connotations. And I'm able to check myself because I wouldn't want someone to judge me solely on that. I want them to get to know me before that. So I'm able to check that and be like, okay, I want to get to know the person under that label, the soul, the consciousness under that label. I feel like with race intersecting, I feel like it's it's great, it's wonderful. It's not the end all be all. It's not a solution to what we have, um, the problems that we have. Yeah, no, I really appreciate what you're mentioning because it's like by having these identities, it's kind of like looking beyond what the system is already giving us. So like being able to have more empathy for other people. And I will say, like, Latinx people, some of them, even though they are oppressed in some way, like, by immigration law, or what, like, Trump is um, saying about the identities, they can't empathize because there is a lot of anti-blackness in the community. So kind of, like, giving that thought that even if you hold certain identities, it won't necessarily give you this worldview like this very empowering worldview sometimes you can be stuck in this kind of like oh i need to assimilate to gain power kind of framework but if you do the work yeah there's possibility africans too like a lot of african immigrants and i know this is like that it just comes of internalized racism and internalized um xenophobia a lot of africans when they come here and I hate, like, now I feel like us as Africans, we're waking up. But when they come here, they tend to, like, view, like, oh, like, okay, Black America. Like, they come here with, like, not really a lick of the social aspect of America. They're like, okay, as long as I work hard, I'm good. Like, because that's what I'm able to do in my own country. Da, 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 da. And they come here and they're like, why aren't Black Americans doing that? They, they kind of question, like, oh, why aren't you guys doing that? Why aren't you, like... And then it's not until they get in that work environment, they get in these social aspects when they're like, oh, they don't care if you're African. They don't see you as African. They see you as just another black person. So therefore, you're going to get treated as accordingly. And usually by the end, they they, change, they flip that tone. They're like, oh, we understand. And at the, at the same time, we kind of get treated, well, dependent. Sometimes we kind of get treated worse because we don't have the, um, the protection of citizenship or being a natural born citizen being born here. We don't have that protection that um, some Black Americans, some Hispanics have versus immigrants coming over here. So we sometimes get treated because we um, they know they can get away with a lot more because we're not citizens. But then on the other hand, we kind of get um, uplifted because it's like, I remember I get this, I got this a lot in um, high school. Um, it's like, oh, you've already struggled so much. Look how amazing you are. Like, you're so smart. You're so intelligent. And coming from this poor, like, you know, because my, my immigrant story is I'm a refugee. Like, I'm escaping war and stuff like that. So people tend to use that to, like, 
it's like when I do do mediocre work, it's like, oh, it's not okay. It's, it's okay. She's, she's an immigrant. She's a refugee. She doesn't know, but it's more of a pity versus like my best friend, Andrea. I remember um, Andrea did something wrong. Me and Andrea did the same thing, but the response Andrea got as like a natural born um, black American woman, it was like, oh, this is expected of you. You don't know any better. Like she got a lot more pushback than I did. And I remember that was my first time being like, this isn't right. Like this isn't fair. I feel like truly understanding intersectionality and understanding, like, once again, it's not the oppression Olympics. It's understanding that we have different experience due to the different, like, it's not intersectionality. Most time people think about race and gender. It's not just race and gender. It's political views, whether you're conservative or a liberal or Democrat or Republican. It's whether you're young or old, well off or not well off. It's more than that. And, like, understanding, like, yes, like, People wonder, like, oh, there are black conservatives? Yes, there are black conservatives because they have a different worldview. They've been through different things that they identify with. And I feel like just listening and understanding and not trying to overtop. I actually started noticing that we talked a lot about jobs throughout this episode. And Jessica ends up developing her understanding of inequality in the workplace using an intersectional framework. Plus, we talk about tangible practices to account for different lived experiences. Well, regarding what um, we read from the Black Feminism um, like resources, I really liked how they said that in order to like fully liberate them, the only people that can do that are themselves because they're the like I believe that they're the ones experiencing this um, and. Like, we tend to see, like, white feminism, especially, like, in, like white women writing about feminism in scholarly work, like, more often. And they talk about intersectionality, intersectionality and, like, race, um, gender, and even class. Like, I find it hard to believe that they can really attest to, to certain things that women of color are, are experiencing. And so... In order, I feel like in order to move forward with that, we we have to really advocate for um, for more representation first of all in like scholarly work, so we know what's what's going on because it's not like most problems that women of color face is like as the the resources mentioned, they're not one one source. It's it's either it's like a combination of class, um, race, gender, and even sexuality to like it's a whole bunch of things and so we really need to just focus on ourselves <laughs> if that makes sense we have yeah. to the, the people who can really do this work is ourselves and we need to provide resources to other to other women of color to do this as well you put it so well like so articulate <laughs> like <I> really- <laughs> I really love what you said about like how there's a lot of white scholars and like they do this work and like I think um they get a lot of praise for doing that like they're so woke they're so like higher level thinking or whatever but it's also like if you don't have like that representation those researchers or like those researchers that are actually like live through it this is like their experience this is their world this is how they see the world then it's kind of like all the research is being um, shown through this white lens. 
Exactly, it is. Yeah. yeah, and, like, I think a lot about, like, movies and TV shows and stuff like that, like, Black stories, Latinx stories, Indigenous stories, or whatever. Um, you can do the research and, like, talk to them, but if it's, like, a white writer, it's always going to be kind of, like, that white lens. And yeah. I'm not saying, like, oh, white people shouldn't um, talk about these things. I think that you should, like, educate yourself. But if you're, like, monopolizing it, and you're the one that's profiting from it, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. Exactly. That is the source of the problem. And, like, I like how you mentioned that it's 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 important for them to educate themselves. But at the same time, why not give that spot, like, that spot to raise Latinx, Black, and Indigenous voices? In reality, like, they're talking about, like, their lives. So why not give them that opportunity to do so themselves? So I know that you were saying intersectionality isn't really like, oh, I'm, like you were saying white and a <laughs> white and man, um, but woman and um, woman of color. So there's race and gender, but this really comes into, this comes into play when we're talking about like wages. My identities are like some of them, I'm Latina, I'm a woman of color, I'm first generation. So I remember learning in one of my courses last semester, which was sex, gender, and society, how Latinas are typically the le- are the women who are least paid in almost every profession that we looked at. And so this, I remember talking to my parents and having a breakdown over this. I'm like not even kidding because it just makes me feel very... It makes me feel very upset that I'm going to be paid less in my prospective, um, my prospective profession because I am a woman, and not just a woman, a woman of color, Latina. So it just really like hit me all of a sudden at that moment. The fact that people use these identities, these intersecting identities, and make something so terrible like and and it's a result of something so terrible you know yeah no we were in the same class so (laughs) we totally kind of that feeling like because of the identities you have to it like that saying like it is what it is but like what it is is awful and it can kind of make you feel less than yeah and I don't think a lot of people realize that like they can be like oh you're latina that okay like whatever and they try to say like race doesn't matter whatever but it does matter you're doing the same work and you're still getting paid less than way less yeah i remember telling my videos about this too like my extended family and they just didn't see like the problem with it like they their reasoning was there's probably a reason behind that but if you're like you mentioned if you're doing the work and you're doing the work well, like any other person, regardless of race, gender, religion, um, sexual orientation, like why are you gonna be, be paid less, you know? And it just it just really hurt me at that moment, the fact that I'm probably gonna be paid less because I'm just a woman of color. And it's yeah. just it's just terrible to think about, but that's the that's the world we live in, you know? But yeah. it's it's not as it shouldn't be the world we live in and we should really change it. 
Yeah, well, I love that you're saying that. Like, we can talk about that. Like, how would you change it? Like, just like practical steps. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but like, <laughs> no, I like to think like, yeah, there's a problem, and now like I'm thinking, what is our solution? What yeah. are you thinking about? So, I know I've thought about this before, and I would say we need to equip women of color with the resources to say, hey, this is the salary I need, <laughs> this is the salary I deserve, but I don't want to focus it all on, like, they're the ones who need to do the work, because they're not the ones who should be doing the work. The The people who need to change are, like, the corporations, like, the, the companies, all the people who, who are running, like, these, these um, tactics who are paying women of color less, so... I haven't really thought about how we can get them to do that, but it's definitely something we need to to put pressure on, on like the employers who are paying women of color less. And it really, we really shouldn't be, we really shouldn't really be focusing too much on like women of color ourselves, as in like, oh, we need to, we need to be the ones who. We were talking a lot about intersectionality and like the this framework really does come from black women and like Kimberly Crenshaw is a black woman. So yeah. like this yeah. is a question I ask myself a lot. Like how can we set boundaries between bower, bo- like borrowing frameworks from other women like black feminists um, without appropriating these concepts? Because we never want to say like, oh, this is the framework just for us or like not acknowledge it. But I wanted to know your opinion on that too. Yeah, so I, I love how you're acknowledging that these frameworks do come from black women. Intersectionality is does come from black women. And so like the the idea of it and like this whole like movement I guess this whole movement I would say to of intersectionality and like in we have to give them credit. Yeah. We have to give them credit. If we're gonna use these frameworks and if we're gonna talk about intersectionality, we have to give black women the credit because they're the ones who started all of this and so um I guess we just we just have that's that's like the first step we have to give them credit (laughs) where credit is deserved and I'd say it's if we're gonna borrow frameworks we just can't say this is solely for like Latinas you know it's something that I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but... I think you're, like... I get what you're saying, like, um, we can't just claim it for our own group. I think, for me, what I'm thinking about is the most effective way to form coalition without it being co-opting. You get it? Like, yeah, like, not just saying, oh, we're gonna take away from your movement your causes your experiences because obviously being a black woman is very different from being a latina and being an afro-latina is very different from being just like a mestiza or like a white latina especially a white latina but that's a whole different conversation (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i love love how you're mentioning all of this like there is different like there's so many different experiences even within like women of color themselves so I like the idea of like we have to cooperate and not like co-op like we have we have to add on instead of taking away for ourselves 
I'd, I'd say that's the best way yeah. <laughs> to add on to these experiences. Before closing off this episode, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to everyone who participated and shared. Y'all were all great. All of our experiences of sexism and feminism, all of our initial ideas of how to change the practices of feminism vary. Some on the same plane, others on diverging avenues, but that is the point. There's always going to be a difference and we should acknowledge that. But we have to start thinking of ways to welcome everyone in our fight for equality. Because it can't just be equality for some. That's not how definitions work. Next, we have a great episode on politics and the pandemic. What the is happening? Where we talk Trump, COVID, and race. Can't wait.